Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Thank you for joining us in worshiping the Lord this morning. Uh, we're going to jump right in here. Uh, if you're new with us, we're going through a book of the Bible called Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, last Sunday we saw uh, how God was using Paul and his mission team to bring the gospel of Jesus uh, to Europe uh, for the first time about 2,000 years ago. And uh, Paul came to Greece and specifically to this town called Philippi. And outside of that town, he and his mission team met a group of women by a riverside who were there to pray, and he began sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. And one of those women who, uh, who trusted in Jesus, who heard the gospel and responded in faith, was a businesswoman named Lydia. And immediately, she volunteered her house to be a meeting place for the Christians in Philippi. And so that's where the church met uh, in Philippi. And then one week later after that, Paul and his team ran into this slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And the girl followed Paul around town and screamed at him while he was trying to tell people about Jesus. And after several days of that, Paul commanded the demon to come out of the girl in Jesus' name, and the demon came out of her. And so what was happening is, is uh, Jesus' kingdom was... was was entering enemy territory. Uh, in one sense, God is the king of all things. He oversees uh, all things. Um, and so the kingdom is everywhere. In another sense, uh, this was a new season of the kingdom in which the Holy Spirit had come to earth and now was pervading um, people's hearts and entering the darkness, pushing back the darkness, and redeeming people uh, because of what Jesus had done on the cross. And so... The key theme that ties all of this together that's happening in Philippians is, this the, word, is the word freedom. And the Holy Spirit was, was essentially freeing people from things that they had been prisoners to. Uh, he, was, he was freeing people from their bondage to sin. Uh, he was freeing people from their bondage to their possessions and to worldly success. He was freeing people from Satan and demons in a very real way. And that freedom of Christ uh, that Christians have, freedom in Christ, uh, it continues into today's passage. And so today we're going to see how Paul and Silas, uh, how they were treated as God's ambassadors uh, for eternal freedom. How, how did people respond to that? And then also we're going to see how Jesus frees people from different types of fear in this passage. So uh, if you have your Bible with me, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And let me pray for us before we read this. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you uh, for this time of worship today that we can be together as a church. Uh, we thank you for this passage you've appointed for us. Thank you for the freedom that you offer to us, God, and the life that you uh, give to us that we have in you. We just ask that we would use this word, Lord, please, to feed our souls. Uh, please make us more holy like you are holy. Please use this passage to bring you glory in our lives and to bring us greater joy in you. Uh, we just ask for your protection over our minds and our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's read Acts 16, 16 to 24. 
As we were going, uh, so this is Luke, right? Luke is writing this. He was with them, Luke the physician. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pause there. Um, remember how cruel the, the owners of that slave girl had been. Very cruel. Her owners, they did not want this demon to leave her. They did not want her to have spiritual freedom because they were making money off of her. They were making money off of that demon. And so according to verse 19, when Paul did finally cast out that demon out of the girl, the owners were outraged. And so they, they grabbed Paul and Silas, they dragged them physically to the rulers of, of Philippi, who this was a Roman colony, so those rulers would have been magistrates, two magistrates appointed to oversee that city. And, uh, and this was a Roman town, which uh, the, the relationship between Romans and Jews was hostile. Okay, so Romans did not like Jews. And so the girl's owners worked that angle, and they tell the magistrates, uh, that Paul and Silas are Jewish, and they're not from Philippi. They're just a couple of troublemakers who've drifted in from outside. And, and then they begin to lie about Paul and Silas. They, they tell the magistrates, they've been encouraging us to do things against the Roman law. They're, they're wanting us to break your laws. And, and as these, these people were accusing Paul and Silas before the magistrates, there's this large crowd that gathers around them, right? Because in, in Roman cities, they, they had an open marketplace called the Agora, which uh, is where people um, would, would convene. That was where the action happened in the city. And so everybody was watching this. And what's remarkable is that as they are being accused of all these things, um, the crowd immediately started attacking Paul and Silas physically. So Paul and Silas, they had no opportunity to speak for themselves, no opportunity to defend themselves. And, um, you know, if we're not careful, we can respond the same way when accusations are brought against people. Um, we've got to be very careful not to jump to quick conclusions uh, when we hear that about um, other people. And, uh, and so I would just say that in general, it, it, good advice to follow uh, is James 1, 19 to 20, in which he says, everyone should take note of this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
Be sure to listen to all sides of an issue before you jump to judgment, okay? Our media loves to crucify people before they even listen, okay? And I'm not just blaming it on the media. I'm saying as a society and as mob mentalities go in the course of history, people are really good at this. And as Christians, we want to be slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Well, things here happen. Uh, they go downhill real quickly for Paul and Silas. The mob of people, they're attacking them, and instead of letting Paul and Silas um, speak, the magistrates, it says they tore their clothes off of Paul and Silas. And this was obviously to shame them publicly, but also to prepare them for a beating. And the magistrates tell the police then to, to beat Paul and Silas with rods. Uh, one of the symbols of power and authority in the Roman world was this weapon called the fasces. I think we might have a picture of one of them, but the fasces were, were bundles of wooden rods that sometimes had an axe tied to them. And what would happen is the magistrates of the cities would have uh, these people who accompanied them called lictors. And these, these maybe you could, you would, we would maybe think of them as guards. But the lictors would carry that over their shoulder following the magistrates as a reminder to everybody that the magistrates had the authority to inflict corporal punishment whenever and to whomever they wanted. And, uh, and interestingly, you know, our government has adopted a lot from Rome. And so you'll see pictures of these all over our government buildings. Um, the United States Senate, Supreme Court, House of Representatives, White House. It's above the Oval Office. It's, it's a, physical, uh, a, a visible reminder uh, that our governmental leaders have the power to inflict corporal punishment. And, and so what happened here is, uh, this happened very swiftly. Paul and Silas, they endured a terribly painful beating on their bare backs uh, from these fasces. And verse 23, it says, the police inflicted many blows upon them. And it would have left their backs bloody and swollen and obviously in excruciating pain. The interesting thing, though, is that the magistrates were not uh, finished punishing them. That wasn't, they weren't done with them. And so they, uh, they next moved them on to prison. And they told the, the, the jailer there in Philippi to keep these prisoners safely. In other words, make sure, do whatever you got to do to keep these guys locked up so they do not escape. And uh, as a jailer in Rome, you would have to take that very seriously. Most likely the jailer was a, uh, a retired mil uh, soldier. And so he, he would have worked with a lot, had worked with a lot of different criminals and soldiers, and he knew how to lock them up well. And so if, if they did get away on his watch, he knew it was his neck. It was like, uh, he, he, would, he would be the one who would be tortured and killed. So it was very important to him personally that he did a good job. So verse 24 says, the, valor, the jailer took Paul and Silas to the innermost part of the jail, uh, where they'd be most securely locked up. And then to add insult to injury, the jailer put their feet in stocks. And we have one picture. I mean, we don't, you guys, some of you know what these are, but others of us don't. But basically, their hands would have been in shackles and cuffs in prison. And uh, their feet would have been locked between two giant logs. And uh, this was not only to secure them, but to add further torture to them. Because what would happen is it makes, you know, their backs are beaten. They can't lay down. They can't lay against a, a wall and your body begins to cramp up. You get cramps in your legs and your back. You can't move though. And so you just endure cramping all through the night. And, um, and so we see Paul and Silas were in a very bad situation. Uh, they'd been wrongly accused, violently beaten. beaten. Uh, they're sitting in a dirty Roman jail. 
uh, where they don't feed you, you know, in Roman jails. You're dependent on people to come bring you food. And so, um, and, and, and they're, uh, they're sitting along real criminals who had actually done uh, terrible things and, and their backs are hurting, their hands are in shackles, their feet are in stocks, sleeping would have almost been impossible and they had no idea if they'd be released. And they're in a foreign country. So if you, what would you do if you were in their shoes? Um, you'd been wrongly accused, right? You go to court, you, yeah, welcome to, this isn't America. You don't get a right to a trial, okay? Um, you're attacked by a mob physically. You're beaten by this fasces. You're locked up. Your legs are in stocks. What sort of thoughts are going through your mind as, as night comes and into this dark jail? Would you be angry? Would you be scared, maybe panicky? Um, despair? Like, this is it. This is it for us. Well, what I want you to see next is how the Holy Spirit of Jesus helped Paul and Silas during this time of suffering. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So inside that dark Roman jail, three things were happening. Paul and Silas were praying. Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners in jail were listening to them. And so here, Paul and Silas, man, they're a very good example of how followers of Christ can endure suffering. Notice what they're doing. They're communicating to God. That's what they're doing. They're using their words to pray to God. And they're using their words to worship God, to sing God's promises through songs. And, and as terrible as their circumstances were, the Holy Spirit's helping them. He's helping them keep their focus on Jesus. Because think about this. Surely Satan was bombarding them with tempting, scary thoughts and thoughts of despair, thoughts of, uh, that might induce panic. You're locked up. You can't move. But Paul and Silas appear to be doing what Paul later instructed Christians to do in times of suffering. And ironically, it was in his letter to the Philippians that Paul later wrote this in 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of obsessing over our anxieties, God tells us here through Paul to rejoice in the Lord, to pray to the Lord with, with thanksgiving for who he is and for what he's done in our lives, in our past, and, and in our salvation. And the Lord welcomes us to make requests to him, and then we leave our requests with God. We, throw our, we cast our burdens on him, trusting him to carry them, and when those burdens manage to fall back into our laps after a minute, right, that can happen real fast, we cast it back on the Lord, and, and we trust in him to take care of those things. And, and Paul says that when we do that, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds by the power of Jesus Christ. You know, in the, midst of our, uh, in the midst of our pain, you guys, I mean, in this room, we're all going through different things. We will go through different things, uh, terrible circumstances. 
We must fight to keep our eyes on Jesus and not on the storm around us. Otherwise, what will happen is we'll, we'll just keep sinking into the sea, just like Peter did. And we need the Lord's help to do this. We need the Lord's help to trust him in the middle of the storm. So maybe if you're in a storm right now and you don't even know what to do, maybe you need to ask the Lord to help you trust him, right? Um, we, need, we need the Lord to, to help him, uh, us trust him that he's going to take care of everything for us. And Paul says that when we do that, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We need the Lord's help to worship his name when we're in the darkness. I was thinking about this particularly to, to men, the, uh, the topic of singing. <clears throat> but as we look at scripture, I was thinking we could preach a whole sermon series from the Bible on why singing to God is one of the manliest things men can do. Which is very anti-cultural, I think, in some ways. We, di- we relegate it, we, we give it to people like on The Voice and American Idol. And it's like, uh, or Dylan. And like the rest of us will listen, <laughs> right? Um, but men need to know, and I'm not saying this isn't to women, but I'm saying men need to know that singing worship songs to God is manly and powerful and right. And do not be embarrassed to uh, sing songs about God and to God. Think about this. Jesus sang songs and hymns. Paul and Silas sang songs and hymns. And they were, where are they? They're in the middle of the darkness. They're in the battlefield. They're sitting in a foreign jail. I mean, this is when, right, they're not like trying to impress anybody. They're not... uh, as far as they know, no one's ever, you know, they, they have a few hours left to live. But they're sitting in this jail and they're singing battle songs to the king. That's what it is. It's battle. I mean, worship is warfare. You've got to see it as that. Worship is war. You're singing battle songs to the king. They most likely sang of the glory of God and the love of God and the victory of their conquering king. You see this when you read the Old Testament? God gives people songs to sing about his victories in the past so that they will remember the victories that he has won in the past. They sing of the mighty things God has done. They sing of the fact that God will avenge everyone who comes against him. He will, he will avenge uh, and... He, uh, he, he gives us a, a window of time right now by his grace and in his mercy to come and, and submit to him. But make no doubt about it. He's the holy God of the universe and it would be wrong for him to allow his name to be mocked forever. And he won't. He won't be. But by singing these songs, Paul and Silas, it, it, it's helping them. Uh, they're not just worshiping God, it's helping them because it's helping them keep their minds on God who is the one who's ultimately in control. Um, when my nephew Eli was diagnosed with cancer a few months ago, one of the first things I did, my br- I got uh, to Denver, and my brother and I just said, man, we need to make a shared s- song list on Spotify of Christian fight songs. <laughs> and, and that's what we've been listening to for four months. 
the song list we share because we knew we needed help worshiping God as we enter the valley of death. And so Christians, we need to saturate our minds with the truth of God's word. So that we, so that, why? So that we can declare the victory that we have in Jesus over the battles that we have in this life. And listening to and singing songs saturated with scripture is a grace that God has given to us and it's an extremely helpful way of, of worshiping God in the darkness. And as Paul and Silas are praying to the Lord and singing songs to him, notice the third thing happening in that jail according to verse 25. The prisoners are listening to them. So uh, obviously they're not, Paul and Silas aren't doing this to impress them. That was the last thing they cared about. But because of their surpassing joy in Jesus, who is more greatly to be feared than the prisoners around them, Paul and Silas overflow with prayer and praise to the Lord. And um, it serves as a witness to the watching world. Now, of course, so, the underlying, so then the underlying question is this. How could anybody be joyful in that circumstance? Right? And the, the answer that the Bible gives to Christians is that we can have joy in the midst of our suffering because we trust in Jesus. Okay, now let's flush that out a little bit. It's... Um, we trust in Jesus who is God, who knows our suffering, who has suffered more than us, who cares about us in our suffering, who is with us spiritually in our suffering, who is the one all powerful over our suffering, who has conquered our eternal suffering for us, and who will free us from ever from suffering after this life. Okay, see that, that should bring us joy. <laughs> the joy in the midst of our suffering is ours in Jesus because of Jesus. And so we're gonna face many battles in our lives, but this is what Jesus said, I've already won the war though for you. You will face trouble, but I won the war. On the cross, Jesus won the war. Jesus already died and suffered for our sin. He already freed us from sin's punishment of eternal hell and bondage to sin and, and death. And in his resurrection, Jesus already gave his church righteousness and united us in his victory over the grave and over eternal suffering. Okay? So we can have hope and joy in the midst of suffering now because our God, this God who did this, didn't just do it for his own name, which he did, but he did it to wrap us up into it and to unite us with himself so that it might be ours too. God promises us that we have an eternal weight of glory coming after this life which infinitely exceeds our present sufferings. And this joy is ours only in Jesus. Of course it means that this joy is not yours if you're not in Jesus. That's the flip side of, of it. Because the power of the joy is in Jesus. And so if you reject Jesus, you don't have the joy. You don't have eternal joy. His, his power, his greatness, his victory are not your victory song. You're singing a different song. Um, 
But God, the good king, says this. He looks at the enemies, and he has compassion on them in their miserable state, just like all of us were in at one point. And he says, I want victory for you. I want you to be on the victory team. I want the gospel to be your battle cry. And so if you know that, if, if you want that, if you, if you know that you're a broken sinner, that you're not, uh, you, you don't have a relationship of peace with the good conquering king, if you know you've messed up against him, you need him to save you, then this is what he says, trust in me and be saved by me. And I'll save you. That's what Jesus says. And it's because he died and rose again to vindicate his name of the good king. And he died and rose again to purchase his people, to pour out his grace on all those who trust in him forever. And he says, you can be part of that victory people today if you trust in me. Think about this. The the apostle Peter, uh, he was in prison several times for his faith. And he wrote in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16, he wrote this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so as, as Paul and Silas sit in jail in terrible pain, yet at the same time pray and worship God out loud with the jailers and uh, the jailer and the other prisoners listening to them, they are doing this. They are reflecting of the glo- they're reflecting the glory of God to the shining, uh, to, the, to the watching world. They're shining the glory of God to the watching world. And the joy they have probably boggled the minds of the other people in that jail. And then what happened next uh, reveals that not only does Jesus give Paul and Silas joy in their suffering, which we can have too, but also God uses their suffering to bless others. So let's read Acts 16, 26 to 34. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So it's about midnight. Okay, this is midnight, dark. The Saul and Pilate, uh, Paul and Silas are praising God. Suddenly God makes the earth 
quake in that place. It says the foundations of the prison were shaken by the Spirit of God. And immediately all of the doors of the jail opened up. Everybody's bonds are unfastened. The jailer wakes up, the same jailer who'd been ordered not to let Paul and Silas escape. And the jailer saw all the prison doors are open. And once he saw that, he didn't even go in. He didn't even go into the inner jail. He just assumed that all the prisoners had escaped on his watch while he was asleep. And so in a moment of panic and to avoid the torture and death that was going to be his, as soon as the Roman soldiers showed up, he, he just decides to get it over with and kill himself. He draws his sword, and he's about to drive it through himself when Paul cries out to him with a loud voice, don't kill yourself, we are all here. And the jailer was puzzled, and he puts down his sword. He, he called for someone to turn on the lights so that they can see, and he rushes, now, not electricity, right? They didn't have lights. Um, <laughs> Get the torches, get the torches. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he, 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 they have their torches, we assume, right? He, they rush into the inner jail, and he sees that, okay, all the prisoners, they're still here. And, and basically what happens is all of these back-to-back events jolt this guy big time. Um, and they totally put the fear of God into this guy. And verse 29 says that the jailer was physically trembling with fear and he just, he just collapses in front of Paul and Silas. And he says, I need what you have. What do I have to do to be saved? And they told him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And Again, the message of eternal life that God offers. So this tells us real clearly what's the gospel. Well, the message of eternal life that God offers Jesus Christ, um, the salvation that the good king offers his enemies is not a a message of good things we must do to save ourselves. Rather, the gospel is the message of what Jesus has done and we put our trust in that. Okay? And so... It's, it's in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection that we put our trust. So it's not a matter of doing, right? That's, what people, that's how people phrase it in Acts. What must I do to be saved? That's what they ask Peter. And they're, they're, they're answering with a different response. They're saying you don't do anything. You trust in Jesus. And then it says, this gospel is what Paul and Silas explained to the jailer. Then the jailer brought Paul and Silas to his house, which is probably connected to the jail. And he, he had, I want you to tell my family this good news too. And this is in the middle of the night. And what you get here is, I love this, man. When God does this, there is a sense of urgency here. The guy does not say, well, this is awesome. You know what? I'm going to let my wife and kids sleep tonight. But when I wake them up in the morning, I'm going to tell them. No, he's like, they got to know tonight. I want them to be saved. And it says that uh, he, he, uh, he, they went to his house. Um, he, he shared uh, the gospel with them. And then the jailer sits them down, Paul and Silas, and serves them immediately uh, he, by washing their wounds, which is interesting because that's what Lydia did too right after she was saved. I want you to use my house and I want to feed you guys. And then right then in the middle of the night, the, verse 33 says the jailer was baptized at once. 
he and all of his family. That would have been a really cool baptism to be part of. Middle of the night, full of joy. Ah, maybe that'll happen someday. I would love for us to be part of that. Uh, Then according to verse 34, uh, the jailer brought Silas and Paul back up to his house and showed them hospitality, fed them dinner. And it was just a time of rejoicing. It says that the jailer and his household rejoiced that he had believed in God. One of the greatest joys a person can experience is when he or she is set free from something he or she has been a prisoner to. And in that jail, Paul and Silas, they were filled with joy in their suffering because Jesus had set them free even though they were in chains. He'd set them free from sin. He'd set them free from fear of others, from fear of death. And again, as Paul would later write to the Philippians, Uh, He says this, listen, if they keep me in jail, I'm just going to keep worshiping and praising God, and other people are going to come to Christ. And if they kill me, uh, I get to be with Jesus, and the church is going to grow outside of the walls. He's like, so either way, to God be the glory. He said, but I'm not not afraid, because Jesus is the king. And and it's, I don't know of anything, there is not anything else but Jesus that could give us this kind of freedom and confidence in the face of torture, sin, and Satan, and death. And the reason is because Jesus is infinitely more powerful than all of those things. And it's an important thing to remember. You know, sometimes in cartoons or whatever, we think of Satan as being one enemy here, and he's enemies with Jesus, and it's kind of this battle of good. Let me tell you what. Satan is here, and God's way up there. There's not a comparison. It's not like these are equal powers going. Satan is a created being, okay? God is in in charge, period. You need to know that, (laughs) and I need to know that. Um, That one wasn't in my sermon, sorry. I gotta keep going. You know, when we keep our eyes focused on God, though, uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the compassion he has for us, hopefully by the power of the Spirit, that will fill us with joy, right? We're going through a book in our community group right now called Desiring God, and it's about experiencing joy in Jesus Christ and, and bringing glory to God by enjoying him. And what do we do when we don't feel joy in God? And hopefully by the power of the Spirit, and by the power of asking God, will you give me joy? Um, and when you read the scriptures and see the things that God has given us in scripture to give us joy, like remember who I am. Remember these promises. Um, think about how I've sustained you in your suffering in the past. Um, think about the, 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 the battle, the war is already won. Hopefully by the power of the spirit, this will bring us joy even when we're in the valley of death. Um, and a great desire, to be honest, a great desire for God to come back and throw Satan and sin in the lake of fire. It should, really, it really should. (laughs) Like I said in the past, I didn't get really excited, I mean, truthfully, in a new way about Jesus coming back and and about the final judgment until Eli got cancer. And then I'm like, I cannot wait for this to go to the pit of hell. And I want to read all about it, and I want to see, I want to see how God is going to do this. 
whether, you know, whatever circumstances you are in, thank God, you know, you have a God who cares about you and who, who knows what you're going and what through and what you're feeling. He knows what you're afraid of, uh, and he wants you, it's mind-blowing, but he wants you to know this. You can, you can have joy right now because you can trust your father that it's, it's taken care of. Whatever the, the, the earthly resolution is, eternally is a much bigger issue, and that one's figured out, okay, because of Jesus. And you know that whatever happens in this life in your different trials and sufferings, Jesus is with you, and he's going to take you by the right hand and walk you through it step by step. He's not going to abandon you and say, I'm going to meet you, and say, I'm going to meet you on that day. He's like, I'm going to help, I'm going to carry you to that day when you see me face to face. That's why he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your minds give in to the, 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 the soldiers of fear that are trying to break into your head. He says, I'm greater. I've overcome the world. And so, you, so we can pray to God and praise him and ask him to help us pray to him and praise him. And, uh, and we can, as we read scripture, celebrate, man, this, this, this promise of God that uh, he's gonna work all things together for the good of those who are called by him. This is mine uh, because Jesus purchased it on the cross for me. And I trust in him. Okay, let's read what happened the next morning. We've got to keep going with the story, okay? Um, the police reported these words to the magistrate. Uh, yeah, the pl- police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that uh, they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, so, so we don't know why the magistrates decided to go f- let these guys go, right? Could have been the earthquake. Could have been just that it was time. Um, but Paul responds really boldly, and this is what we've got to see here. He tells the policemen, um, the magistrates beat us in public. They condemned us even though we were innocent, and they threw us into prison without even letting us give a defense of our actions, which is illegal, by the way. And I know that because, oh, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen, and so instead of releasing us quietly and pretending this never happened, we want the magistrates to come down here publicly and release us themselves. See, Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, which the magistrates didn't know because they didn't take time to find out. They didn't ask them. And Roman citizens had a lot more rights than other people. Um, you see, they, they had th- the magistrates thought, well, they're just drifters from outside. No, we're Roman citizens. And they had a right to a trial. And so the magistrates broke the law. And so to try to salvage this situation, um, it says that uh, the magistrates were afraid when they heard about this. And so they did exactly what Paul ordered. (laughs) They came to the jail. They apologized to Paul and Silas. And in front of everybody, they released them and, and asked them to leave the city. And this is why that was important, because Paul and Silas needed the name of Christians to be cleared. Uh, He wanted it to be clear to everybody in Philippi that the Christians had done nothing wrong, and and that Christians should not be persecuted or condemned in the future. Paul and Silas, they are going to leave, but they're thinking about the church that's going to stay. And so Paul took this bold stand for the sake of the new believers uh, in Philippi, 
and for the sake of the reputation of Jesus' name. And, um, and on their way out of town, it says they went to Lydia's house, right, Which, who had just come to Christ a, a week earlier. And it's now the meeting place for the church in Philippi. And it says Paul and uh, Silas spent some time with the brothers there and the sisters in Christ. And, and they gave him some departing words of encouragement. And then they headed out of town. And so here in Philippi, man, this is just a great chapter. This really is. And it adds, just for fun, you really should read Philippians. Just to put the pieces together of of who Paul was writing to and stuff. The the spirit of Jesus, man, he entered into enemy territory here in Philippi. And he accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish in his sovereign timing and and according to his, his will. And if you look at the interconnectedness of the events here, it's pretty remarkable. Because what you see is, you know, sometimes in suffering, you don't, it's like, what in the world is God doing through this? Sometimes, a lot of times, we just don't see on this side of heaven what he's doing. But other times you see, man, he, he uses suffering in our lives, in the lives of others, and for the blessing of others in ways we, we, will not, we just won't know until we're in heaven. But, but look at this. Um, if there had been a synagogue in Philippi, then Paul and Silas never would have taken the road to the riverside to meet Lydia. And if they'd never met Lydia, then Lydia and her household would not have believed and been saved on that day, and the church would not have used Lydia's house as their meeting place. And if Paul and Silas had never found that place of prayer by the river, then they wouldn't have taken the same route the following Sunday when they encountered the demon-possessed slave girl. And if they'd never met the demon-possessed slave girl, they wouldn't have cast that demon out of her. And if they never cast that demon out of her, then her owners would not have dragged them to the magistrates. And if they'd not been dragged to the magistrates and condemned, they wouldn't have ever been thrown in jail. And if they had never been thrown in jail, then the jailer would not have been scared to death and had the fear of God put in him and asked to be saved. And if they wouldn't have told the jailer the gospel, then the jailer and his family would not have been saved that night. And had Paul and Silas not been Roman citizens and publicly released by the magistrates the next morning, then the Christians in Philippi would likely be condemned just like Paul and Silas had been. But as it happened, according to God's plan, the name of Jesus was vindicated, the authorities were held accountable, and the Christians could freely meet and pray together and praise Jesus in Lydia's home. And all of this happened because the Lord called Paul to step out in faith and follow him into the unknown. God is in control of our lives. He does love us. And he offers us the greatest and truest freedom we will ever know. And that freedom can result in great joy in God and in the victory we have in him, no matter what our circumstances are right now. So may, the, may, may God help us to to have that joy and to worship him and to trust him all for for our blessing and for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you um, for your great power, your great compassion, God, on us. You're the holy God of the universe and we are at your mercy. And we just thank you for the salvation that you offer us through your perfect son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, today that um, for those of us who are in suffering, we would 
be filled with hope and joy in Jesus Christ that uh, this world and this life does not have the last word for us because we're in you who conquered suffering and death eternally for us. I pray for those who don't know you, God, that through one way or another, maybe just like this jailer, you would wake them up, that they would be woken up to their smallness and your bigness and the bigness of infinity and the bigness of eternity that they're facing that they too would consider their own lives and count their numbers, the number of, of their days, God, that they would say, today could be the day. Am I ready to meet Jesus? And am I prepared to have none of my works count for anything? Who am I trusting in? We pray for our loved ones, God, who don't know you. We pray for our town, God, that your Holy Spirit would do the th- same thing among us that as the gospel is proclaimed, as your love is shown, um, your Holy Spirit would permeate this place and rightfully redeem what has been lost to sin, Jesus. We are yours. We just want to see your name glorified and we want to see many people's lives transformed by your power and in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.